0: Now, listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast.
1: All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here, breaking down the week that was in the NFL with Rich Hill. Week nine is in the books. Lots going on, lots of fun games, the Patriots beat the Packers, the Jets and Dolphins played what I think can pass for a football game, but who the hell knows.
0: Lots to talk about, so let's get right to it. Rich, how's it going, buddy? Oh man, I'm excited after just such a great weekend of football, we finally got to see the two goats square off. Uh, I was just very excited to see Marquez Valdez scanting and Cordell Patterson shine, you know, the two, (laughs) two best players in the entire league. Uh, I mean, the Patriots won. Uh, All things at the end of the day. They pretty much should have doubled the Packers score if they didn't go for it on fourth down. It was comfortable at the end. It was, you know, a little sketchy there into the third quarter. All in all, it was a pretty good game for the Patriots. And the rest of the week... I don't know, man. What games caught your eye?
1: Yeah, it was a good week for the Patriots, and we will definitely be breaking down all of that in just a minute. But it was a pretty fun week overall in the NFL. I think the game of the week obviously was the Saints versus Rams game, just an offensive explosion, 45-35. to 35. That was a lot of fun to watch. The Broncos missed a last-minute field goal to lose to the Texans. The Jets and the Dolphins – maybe we should start there, Rich. The Jets went to Miami to play the Dolphins – and the game saw one total touchdown on both sides. It was a defensive touchdown as a pick six. Sam Donald has regressed significantly over the past couple of weeks, in my opinion. Brock Osweiler is clearly not a legitimate starter, although we already kind of knew that. Dolphins fans are happy because a win's a win. But based on this game, which I watched a lot of, Rich, because the local broadcast here in New York, I don't think either team is going anywhere in the postseason.
0: Yeah, I mean this has to be the least intimidating 5 and 4 team ever, right? It just has to be. Danny Amendola is their leading receiver and love Danny to death. Happy for all that he's done for the Patriots. He's a number 3 guy tops, right? So, having him be your leading receiver, you got a 50-year-old running back in Frank Gore. This is not a good Dolphins team. They're lucky to be 5 and 4 based off of their schedule. I would not be surprised if so at the end of the season they're, you know, 6 and 10 as as we all thought. I'm more curious to know what's going to happen with the Jets because the Patriots have to play them twice over the rest of the year. And Sam Darnold, as you said, has definitely regressed. He leads the league in interceptions, and he also leads the league in dropped interceptions, which means balls that he's thrown that hit a defender right in the hands and they just couldn't come down with it. So he's a turnover machine. I, based off of this Dolphins-Jets game, do you have any reason to think that the Patriots won't go 3-0 in their final three games against these two?
1: Only in that they have to travel to Miami, and Miami is kind of a house of horrors for Tom Brady. I'd be amazed if the Patriots lost to the Jets in any capacity by – if they beat the Jets, if they beat the Jets by single digits, I'll be be upset with that as well. But the Patriots going to Miami, I think everything goes out the window for that one, and it happens right in a interesting stretch where they have to go to Pittsburgh right after that game. So I know the Patriots don't overlook teams, they're the last team to do that, but that's a very brutal stretch and a very crucial part of December. So I'm a little worried about that one, but the Jets not at all.
0: Yeah, and there's not enough pieces on either side for this really to work out. Darnold, four interceptions. I mean, he's lucky that Nate Peterman is the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills or else people would just be laughing their heads off at how unproductive he's been. And I'm just kind of wondering if, you know, are the New York Jets Mark Sanchez in him? Is Sam Darnold, I know you can't judge his entire career based off of one season, but it doesn't seem like they're putting him in a position to succeed. They're throwing him to the wolves. He's not getting the development that I would expect a like a smart team to have by giving him the appropriate structure around. And maybe it ultimately needs a, a coaching change around. Get a smart young mind like a Kyle Shanahan or a uh, Sean McVeigh because this is just pretty bad for the Jets. They're also lucky to be three and six. They are. And I always feel like Sam Darnold
1: would have done better to maybe learn for a year behind McCown, who I believe is still on the roster. I don't think that would have been a bad year. I don't think any Jets fan or Jets front staff guy thought this was their year to go make a deep postseason run. So why not let Darnold learn the ropes, learn the pacing of the NFL behind a veteran who's not horrible, and then go after it next year? But that's not what they're doing. We've all seen what happens when a quarterback who's not ready gets thrown out there against the defense is going to eat him alive. And if you haven't seen it, just watch any game the Buffalo Bills play this year. Nathan Peterman, pick six streak, lives on, Rich. It's,
0: it's unbelievable.
1: It, it, it's amazing. Uh, granted, a couple of those were not his fault. They bounced out of the receiver's hands. But it's almost like people are – it's almost must-watch TV, watching Peterman go out there because you know he's going to throw a pick. I feel legitimately bad for the guy, and that's rare for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's un it's unheard of. When you th- complete 31 passes and ye don't get more than 200 yards, the fact that he threw zero touchdowns and three interceptions on an incredibly inefficient day, his passer rating was 45.4. And it improved his passer rating.
1: That's how bad he is. It's, it's
0: unbelievable that he's continuing to be trotted out there. I do feel bad for him because he's not – I mean, of course, he wants to get the opportunity to show that he deserves to be on the field. But this has just been a reinforced response over and over and over and over again that it's not working. And they continue to do it. And I think what's flying a little bit further under the radar for a lot of Bills fans or even just NFL fans, because Nathan Peterman has been just so atrocious. It's the fact that LaShawn McCoy has also been awful. He has been a ghost. If you look at his game against the Bills and this one against the Bears, Against the Bears, he had 10 carries for 10 yards. Against the Patriots, I believe he had, like, 11 carries for 10 yards, or vice versa. He has not been productive behind this Bills offensive line. And while you could also say that this Bills offensive line is atrocious and be absolutely correct, Chris Ivory has been more productive behind it. So there's something going on with Rashad McCoy as well, and I just think that this Bills team is set to implode yet again.
1: Yeah, they are. And it's funny. I think you and I talked earlier in the year about how the AFC East might be a good division this year. They're not. Not a good division. AFC still stinks, but the Patriots remain the class of that division. However, a team that I want to talk about, actually there are two teams I want to talk about, Rich, before we get on to the Patriots and Packers game. I think the Ravens-Steelers, we can talk about that if you want, and the Chiefs and the Browns, that's a no shocker there. But two teams that are kind of making me notice them where they haven't in years past are the Houston Texans and the Los Angeles-Knee San Diego Chargers. <laughs> Uh, the Chargers are quietly 6-2 and two right now. No one's really talking about them. They always seem to implode around this time every year, if not before. And the Texans have won six straight since starting the year 0-3. Oh, they needed a late-minute field goal miss to beat the Broncos, but they still beat Denver at Denver, which is never an easy thing to do. And the Chargers beat the Seahawks at Seattle, another easy thing to do. Are these two teams people that are are they being underestimated this year? Is no one talking about them? No one thinking about them? What are your stance on the te- Texans and Chargers right now, Rich?
0: Yeah, the, I mean, the Chargers are super overshadowed because they're in the same division as the Chiefs who are the talk of the the year and you know, completely reasonable. They've been unbelievable. Their only losses on the road against the Patriots and the last minute sort of thing. So, the Chargers being 6 and 2 that's like it's fair that they're overshadowed a little bit in my mind they're the third best team in the afc behind the chiefs and the patriots and you you look at all of their pieces they've always had good pieces they haven't had the health on a year-to-year level and they didn't have it this year so i think a lot of people wrote them off myself included but they've had players step up melvin gordon is playing like Honestly, one of the top two, three running backs in the entire league other than, you know, Todd Gurley and Keenan Allen's been producing Philip Rivers is having a career season. So this Chargers team has all the pieces and we can talk about the, the Texans a little bit afterwards, but this Chargers team, they're going to play spoiler when they come into the postseason and they very well could wind up playing the Houston Texans during wildcard weekend.
1: Yeah, they very well could. They're definitely not going to win the division. That division is all but wrapped up already by Kansas City. But San Diego, don't sleep on them. I feel like they're one of those guys that they, they should be better than they are every year and they find some way to shoot themselves in the foot or, or do something wrong. This might be the year they finally don't do that and make it into the postseason. The only problem is, like you said, it will be as a wild card. I could very easily see them going to Pittsburgh. I could very easily see them going to Houston. It's going to be a pretty interesting pretty interesting turn of events. And Phillip Rivers, I think, is one of those quarterbacks that he's never in the discussion is one of the best in the league, but he is—he's really accurate. He's got a really weird throwing mechanics, but um, <laughs> it works for him. And I'm actually excited to see the Chargers make a make a, a splash in the postseason. It's been a long time since they've done it.
0: Yeah, I mean Philip Rivers is going to be the first ballot uh, Hall of Very Good candidate. I don't I don't know if he's ever been a top three quarterback while he's been in the league. Uh, maybe I don't know if anyone would include him in the top five outside of two or three seasons. So fact that he's having a career year is really good towards the end of it uh, especially when you juxtapose it to what eli manning's been doing um, but yeah uh, philip rivers has been a rock he's going to carry them so long as he's honestly the the second or third best quarterback inside the afc he the, the chargers are going to contend but they will also have to worry about the houston texans because they have won six straight as you mentioned they've done it in not the most glamorous fashion But they're doing it, and they have a very commanding lead inside the AFC South. They should be at least a fourth seed. I mean, clearly they're not going to lose to anyone else in the division. So they're going to be a fourth seed, possibly could get the third seed if the Steelers continue to have to battle their way through a pretty banged-up and difficult AFC North. So this is a a Texas team that people do need to take seriously. J.J. Watt's been playing like his typical self. They have a lot of pieces on defense. They finally have their quarterback. You're going to have to cover DeAndre Hopkins and Demarius Thomas now. That's not something that any defensive coordinator wants to see in the playoffs.
1: No, it's not, Rich. And let me ask you this question. Then, Other than the Chiefs, who I think are the best team in the AFC right now, better than the Patriots, I'll give them the the nod over the Patriots right now in terms of a complete team, especially offensively. The return of Justin Houston is going to make a big difference in them defensively. Which is the one team that is not the Baltimore Ravens that you you least want to see in the postseason when it happens?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I would want to lean towards the Chargers just because I don't, expect philip rivers to be afraid of the patriots and they have all of the pieces that can go toe to toe with new england so other than the chiefs i mean the patriots have shown that they can handle the texans they've done that over and over again they've shown that same thing against the steelers i'm not afraid of the bengals in the playoffs that's kind of the entire asc playoff picture right i mean the dolphins the tennessee titans uh those are the ones on the fringes and you throw the Ravens in there. Those are your three in the hunt teams. If you actually look at the teams that are in the playoff picture, the AFC playoff is pretty much set it's just a matter of figuring out order and, you know, whether the Bengals or the Steelers are going to win the division. Maybe the Ravens can poke their head in there. No one expects anything from the Titans or from the Dolphins. So you really have seven teams, and of them, if you can't count the Chiefs, I'm not afraid of anyone other than possibly the Chargers just because they got nothing to lose at this point.
1: They don't. On the good side of that is I don't think Phillip Rivers has ever beaten Tom Brady once. So that's a nice matchup as well. It's so funny. It is, it is just past Halloween. Not even Thanksgiving yet. You just said the AFC playoff picture is more or less set. It's down to basically seeding and maybe the one, uh, the, the the fifth or sixth wild card. And you're right, and I can't even argue. And it's been like that. I feel like almost every year the AFC kind of shakes itself out before Thanksgiving. It's just a matter of who hosts who and who gets to buy and who's that sixth seed. It's remarkable in an age of parity, where the NFL is trying so hard to make sure every team has a shot. It's always the same five or six teams going at it every single year. However, <clears throat> the NFC playoff picture is much more muddled, especially now. Uh, the Patriots beat the Packers 31-17. to They're talking about the Packers not even making the postseason now. Aaron Rodgers has no pieces around him, blah, blah, blah. This was a great win for the Patriots. I actually had the Packers winning this game, and we did our pregame predictions. I was gladly wrong, and I'm happy about it. I personally, though, Rich, in this this highly touted battle of the goats, the greatest of all time against the greatest of all time, blah, 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 I don't think either Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady played all that well.
0: Oh, I'm with you 100%, and for different reasons on both of them. I think Aaron Rodgers, he wasn't able to find Devontae Adams. The Patriots had an amazing, amazing strategy on defense that I want to talk about a little bit afterwards, but Patriots did a good job, and it really did seem like Aaron Rodgers was the only player out there for the Packers, which isn't fair. That's like a huge testament to the Patriots for doing what they did. He just wasn't able to find any of his three or four rookie receivers that he's throwing out there because Randall Cobb's kind of the a shell of his former self and stefan gilmore did just an amazing job erasing Devontae adams so i mean Rodgers was a little lackluster and the same thing totally applies for for tom brady who in my eyes he how many games has he had this year where i'm like oh he's back he's really really good two three yeah. i mean he i mean against the chiefs he was pretty good i mean against the I don't know, the Bears, he was fine. It's just like there's been a few points during the year where it's just like I'm waiting for Vintage Brady to come out. It's been over half a season, and it hasn't been consistent. And you can point to, oh, he didn't have Edelman for the first four games. Oh, he hasn't had Gronkowski recently. I don't know, man. I, I I am a little bit nervous that you know Tom Brady is now only going to be one of those top five quarterbacks in the league, and no longer the the greatest by a fair distance.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you the numbers back you up. It, it's it's the eye test and the numbers test. They both kind of follow. There are a couple. I think there was one pass in the the third quarter, I believe, where he floated the ball up to absolutely nobody. It was just a couple of just miscommunications, and he's not as accurate as he has been, and he just isn't looking like the Tom Brady that we all know so well. He's down to the top five QB. But I will say this, Rich, and not just against the Packers, in every game where he needed to be good in the second quarter, in the fourth quarter, wherever it is, when there were times when he needed to be Tom Brady again, he was. He stepped it up and he made it happen. So I still feel like he has that ability in him, but maybe just with age or time or whatever it is, he has to kind of dole out his superpowers to go on the sustained long runs. I should also mention that the Patriots have been without a running game for a couple of weeks, and as a play-action-based team, Tom Brady loves that play-action. The Patriots have been very limited in what they could do offensively without that that Sony Michelle back there, although Cordero Patterson, I'd love to talk about him a little bit too. So I'm not going to say that Brady's Never going to get it back together, but I can't disagree. He just seems to be not having a, a great year so far.
0: Yeah, and all of this can still be true, right? Like, Tom Brady can have had a small decline where he doesn't look as decisive or he's freaking out with pressure a little bit more. And he can also be dealing with the fact that they don't have a running game as one of the five heaviest play-action teams in the entire league. No Gronkowski, no Edelman. I'm learning a new offensive player with Josh Gordon, transition players like Patterson. Uh, you know, it, it just hasn't had any consistency out there. And so, yeah, all of that is true. He's, in my head, still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I don't think that's going to change this year. But the the pieces have to settle down. The, fortunately for New England, the bye week is two weeks away. They have to get past the Tennessee Titans this upcoming week. But until then, I mean, Sonny Michel is hopefully going to return. They just need to have everyone healthy for the final stretch or else we're going to see more of these weird throws where Brady's just having miscommunications with all these new players on the offense.
1: So let's talk about the offense, Rich. Good place to start. Tom Brady, 22 of 35, 294 in a TD. The leading rusher, once again, Cordero Patterson, 11 carries, 61 yards. Maybe we can start with the running game. Uh, James Wyatt contributed as well. He had 12 for 31. But Patterson, I think between this game and the last week's game against the Bills, night and day in what he was able to do as a runner. And what I saw in an initial watch through of this game was McDaniels was calling smarter runs for him. It was more stretch runs. It was more toss plays. He wasn't asked to read the A-gap. He just basically followed James Devlin on a toss, made a quick cut, and took off. He's fantastic in space. It's his biggest strength. And I think the running plays were more designed towards capitalizing on that versus the between-the-tackle runs where the running back has to kind of read where the linebackers are coming in, which way the blocking seems going, and make a cut based on that. He didn't really need to do that to much you got to got him into space early and that really really helped going forward
0: Oh, totally. And I actually, I really appreciate what Chris Collinsworth highlighted during Sunday Night Football when, in the second half, they showed what the Packers did on defense to make an adjustment, try and control what Patterson had been doing, because in the first half, as you mentioned, he'd just been following Devlin, taking a gash and just sprinting up the field, just lowering his shoulder, running hard. He was doing a great job. And so what the Packers did in the second half is they said, all right, well, we're just going to clog the middle here. We're not going to let Devlin get up here. And they so they stacked their defensive interior three men hat on hat against the Patriots centers and or center and two guards. And that way there weren't many openings on the inside. And so we saw fewer big runs for Patterson. We saw him try and turn the corner more frequently. So there are adjustments that can be made. I'm sure teams will watch it. And then we also have to note that on Patterson's 12, uh, 12 snaps or 13 snaps, he was targeted or given the ball 12 times. So, there's a pretty big tell that when Patterson's on the field, expect him to get the ball. They're not going to have him in pass protection. They're not going to have him really run into too many routes either. So teams will continue to key on that. The return of Sonny Michelle will definitely help out. But you have to be super happy with what Patterson did. I, and In my head, I want to know what you think, even with Michelle back. I still think Patterson deserves to get 10 touches a game whether you know it's it's 6 rushes and 3 targets or something like that. He deserves to try and get the ball in his hand in open field because he is a hard runner and he does a lot of damage when he gets in the open field. Well,
1: absolutely. I hope he's basically a kind of flex running back wide receiver like you see in a fantasy roster. Uh, you put him back there, like a two-back set with Tony Michelle and Cordero Patterson, and you do like a double play action and throw it to Patterson. That's like a whole new play I just invented just now. There's a whole <laughs> lot you can do with that, and I think he's got a, a really good first cut. You know, That's why he's so good as a kicker turner. He's a cut-and-go kind of guy, and I'd like to see him as a complementary piece. I think that he's proved to himself, at least definitely against the Packers on Sunday night, that they're not moving, they're not running him. Excuse me. In emergency duty, I think he's kind of come into the role, and they found a way to play to his strengths. The question, though, is will he be able to be a enough a contributor with Michelle back? But I guess only time will tell in that respect. What I'm curious about, though, Rich, is while we're still talking about the running game, John Barner got one carry for four yards, and he had a great block, a blitz pickup on Clay Matthews, upended him. It was awesome. But the Patriots are not running Ken John Barner, and it makes me wonder why they opted for Patterson over Barner. They just not trust him. Is he not a good runner? What do you think the logic is they're putting a receiver back there first before going with your backup running back?
0: Yeah, I think part of it is just a size thing. Patterson is 225 pounds. Barner is roughly around 200. So he's, he's a little bit on the smaller end of it. He's in a mold more similar to that of James White and Deion Lewis from a size standpoint. So if you need a goal line back, if you need someone on the early downs to really just pound through the offensive line, I mean, they have been using James White at times, but Patterson's your guy to replace Sonny Michel as the pure runner. If James White were to go down, I would expect Barner's snap to really go through the roof. But so long as James White is out there, Honestly, uh, a Patterson James White combo isn't the worst thing in the world because nope. James White has done an outstanding job of carrying the offense this entire year as Edelman's been suspended, as Gronkowski's been injured. We talk about Patterson a lot. We should talk about James White and the fact that he had over 100 yards and two touchdowns.
1: Not only that, he uh, ran for 6 and, and he's he's uh, he was received for 672. Excuse me, 672, and he was a. You know, second receiver behind Josh Gordon, as he always has been all year. You know, I, I still think my my MVP of the season thus far at midpoint is James Devlin for intangible reasons. I'm happy to talk about, but <laughs> he is he is so crucial to this offense that when he got hurt and he was limping around, I was like, oh man, that was been a a possibly season ending. Injury. I don't think the Patriots can function without James White right now. I really don't. And what he brings to the table as a coverage mismatch, what's remarkable about James White's stat line, Not matches the six catches on 72 yards. He was six receptions on seven targets. So almost every time Brady targets James White, he catches the ball because they cannot figure out how to cover him. They just can't do it, and he's such a mismatch nightmare. The way Brady motions him in and out of the backfield to help read the defense is huge, and he really compliments the other receivers around him. And I think Josh Gordon, one of the big reasons he had such a big night, five catches for 130 yards, is because White's in there in the middle of the field, and the young defensive backs from Green Bay did not know how to stop it.
0: Oh, totally. I mean, James White's averaging 12 yards per catch in that game. you got to respect that. you got to understand that your linebackers are going to be super busy. It'll take the pressure off of Tom Brady if you're going to have him on these quick little routes to the outside because that's one extra player in the box that will no longer be able to go after Brady. We saw Green Bay gamble a bit and hit Brady twice because they said, you know what, we're not even going to try covering White. Just go after Brady. That's something that team's had to resort to because there's no way you're going to cover him one-on-one. So, yeah, White's definitely the offensive MVP through Nine games and he's really been carrying it all and so uh does he open everything up absolutely can they handle anything without him i don't i don't know i mean if if michelle comes back i believe that he can be a receiver but yeah i mean james white has been the most consistent if not the most valuable player for this patriots team at like at all points this year uh but a a player who in my head uh, is the opposite of that and i want to talk about him a little bit uh, chris hogan Chris Hogan yeah. had one target, zero receptions, and that target was kind of a swat down pass at the line of scrimmage, so it's like a theoretical target more so than one that anyone got into his any vicinity. Chris Hogan hasn't done as much as we all expected him to do this year. Third year with the team, he's been overshadowed and overtaken by Josh Gordon in the lineup. Julian Edelman's been productive as well since he's returned from his suspension. But with Gronkowski sideline Edelman suspended at points Josh Ward not existing on the team we all believe that Chris Hogan was going to take a leap this year what's been going on with him why, why hasn't he been producing when he has pretty favorable matchups out there
1: yeah that's a good question I mean he was even my my offensive x-factor in our pregame show so I was wrong about the score and my x-factor really having a banner day um <laughs> But I don't know, man. It's just like at first I thought it was he was being forced into a one wide receiver one role, that number one guy, which he's never been. He's really better suited as like a third or fourth option. So in those early pre Edelman suspension games, I thought maybe he was just kind of playing above his pay grade because he wasn't quite meant to be that particular skill set. Then Edelman came back, and Gordon's in there, and Dorsett came into his own, had another nice game against the Packers, three catches, thirty yards on three targets. And I figured he'd settle really nicely into that third, fourth option. But he just hasn't quite turned a corner. And you can't blame it on communication breakdown. You can't blame it on him not knowing the playbook. You can't blame it on anything, really, other than just he's been passed over. I don't think Tom Brady trusts him any less. I don't think it's an issue of, of Brady not wanting to go to him. I just think there are just better options now on the roster. I think James White has maybe taken off a lot of his a lot of his little under, underneath routes, undercut routes. And Gordon's now the deep threat. And Gronkowski's your seam guy. So if you've got a deep threat, you've got your underneath route guy, you've got your outlet receiver, and you've got your seam guy, I don't know where Hogan really fits in anymore. And maybe it's just like he's just not enough football to go around.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, but although I would still point that Philip Dorsett has found a way to be productive. And so yeah. H- Hogan's like a pretty good run blocker, and so I see that's why he's continuing to be on the field as that fifth guy, as you mentioned. You know, you got your tight end, so usually Gronkowski, you got Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, you're running back, and then that fifth guy has been Chris Hogan for much of the year. I, I mean, after the first four weeks of the season— I said that Philip Dorsett had done enough that he deserves more playing time, that he should start taking and siphoning some playing time away from Chris Hogan because Dorsett's just a better and more consistent receiving threat. And after five more games, I still kind of think that. I mean, I think Dorsett could really flourish if he was given a bigger role in this Patriots offense. And by flourish, I am being very, very conservative in the sense that, like, he could get 500 yards this year, you know, as opposed to (laughs) 200. So I, I just expected... Philip Dorsett, or I expected Chris Hogan to have more production, and since he's not, I, I wonder how much longer he'll be able to hold on to this role until Philip Dorsett or someone else starts to take away more of his playing time.
1: Yeah, and again, of course, now that we've said that, he's going to go off for five catches and thirty, you know, thousand yards, but <laughs> uh, I think plan. he's... Yeah, good work. Whatever works, man. I think also, Hogan has been a, a postseason... Uh, he's tr- tried in postseason games, and if he can even pull a Danny Amendola in the respect that You can count to – Danny Amendola was so good with this. Every single season for the Patriots, you can think of like three or four crucial plays that define the season, and they were almost all Amendola catches. Mm -hmm. If Hogan can kind of do that in the second half of the season into the postseason, he'd have earned his contract, and like you said – like Josh Gordon, actually, as well. Patriots have a phenomenal blocking wide receiver core. I think Hogan is a great blocking wide receiver. He has a place on this team. I think maybe just the game plan thus far has not really warranted him catching passes. But you know it's a rough day when our favorite tight end, Dwayne Allen, finally gets on the catch-receiving <laughs> board, has one for 21, and Chris Hogan sees nothing. That is just not really his time. But, again, I think that just game plan for him when it matters most. And as long as the offense is moving the ball well when they do, they're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of great game plans, let's transition over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about just the master class yeah. that Brian Flores and Bill Belichick put out there, holding the Green Bay Packers offense to 17 points on the day. I have my thought and my theory on how the Patriots approached this game, how they limited Aaron Rodgers to be less than a 60% passer, how they were able to remove Devontae Adams from the entire game. Well, what was your first thought when you saw, you know, the final score of Packers 17 points?
1: Yeah, I mean, I never would have thought the 17 points was the thing, which is amazing. But in terms of defensive strategy, I think they have a very complex defensive scheme that's called Stefan Gilmore. Go follow that guy. (laughs) <laughs> and that's all they had to do for Devontae Adams. And he was more or less a ghost in that game because of what Gilmore is able to do. Six for 40 yards um, you know, and a touchdown, but that was a third and goal with Aaron Rodgers scrambling around. That is a very, very mild day for Devontae Adams. And with Gilmore able to basically lock down that receiver, I think they went really wide in their gaps in their nickel package. They really invited the run. They gave it the middle of the field. They enticed Aaron Rodgers to run the ball a lot. And when they tightened up in the run, they contained him from scrambling to his throwing side, or so scrambling to the right. They always forced him to go left, which is a much harder throw for him to make. They didn't really try to sack him too much. They knew he'd just escape it and pick up plays with his legs. So they kept him behind them at all times, and they dictated where he was going to go with his coverages. And with Devontae Adams more or less out of the game, it left him Jimmy Graham and your boy, Marcus Valdez, Valdez however you pronounce his last name, um, <laughs> So, I mean, I think it's just such a, a very, very smart strategy in that you know you're not going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers, but you can severely limit what he's able to do, and they did that to perfection.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think you just completely nailed it. I think there were two main points and how the Patriots were able to approach the Packers and really stop them. First one is definitely highlighting Devontae Adams as the engine for the entire offense, because if you can limit Devontae Adams... uh marcus valdez scantling is a rookie uh equimenius saint brown is also (laughs) a rookie uh so i mean those were the other receivers that they would rely on because randall cobb's a slot guy you don't really trust him too much more beyond that and then you got jimmy graham sure but what the patriots did was say stefan gilmore shadowed Devontae adams for two-thirds of the game and that's what happened in the other third of the game Jason McCordy and Deron Harmon, you bracket Devontae Adams so he can't get comfortable, you can't get into a rhythm. I think ultimately at the end of the day, Stephon Gilmore was only targeted four times, allowed two catches for something like 14 yards, 20 yards, something really, really impressive. So amazing day in the office for Stephon Gilmore. And the other thing that the Patriots did really well, and it was kind of a throwback to what the Patriots had done to Peyton Manning in the Denver Broncos back in 2013, that was pretty successful. They managed to win that game in the regular season, is that they enticed them to run. And as you mentioned, the the Packers kind of were having some success running the ball. Patriots were spreading out, making sure that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to win the game with his arm, throwing it to the sidelines or anything like that. And so you look at the Patriots... I saw a few times where it seemed like Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams were just squirting up the middle of the field pretty easily, and I had the mind that, you know what, maybe the Patriots are doing that on purpose, not letting them get easy yards, of course, but giving fronts that said, please run against us, please run against us, because you can let Aaron Rodgers take over the game. If you build up that lead that the Patriots had finally able to uh, accomplish in that fourth quarter— then you're not going to be able to win the game running the ball. And so by just kind of removing the ball from the Packers' passing attack, puts the, the favor a little bit in the New England passing attack to be able to build a lead and run away with it.
1: Not only that, but what a game by Kyle Van Noy. I want to highlight him today because I think his primary job was to see Aaron Rodgers start to move and chase him down. I'm going to actually go ahead and give Adrian Claiborne equal credit because the way he was able to move laterally was phenomenal. There were so many times you saw Rodgers start to bootleg out. He evaded the initial pressure, started rolling to his right, rolling to his left, and Van Noy and or Claiborne was right there, forcing him to run east to west instead of north and south, and it really kind of threw off his rhythm. I don't think he was expecting that. And it's interesting to me watching Aaron Rodgers. I feel like it's a testament to how great he is as, as a player, but I feel like he tends to make plays harder than they need to be sometimes so many of his throws are just him like running around forever and then making something amazing happen and the Patriots really limited what he was able to do when he did that it's really really impressive all the times that he made a good play it was more of a standard kind of Aaron Rodgers play and it wasn't anything that really killed him the only thing I think of that was kind of a uh a dagger was that 50 some odd uh pass to that Jason McCord is in coverage In however that was a cover zero play and it was a blitz that they just got burned on That's happens the risk you take so overall, phenomenal game plan. This game was nothing like I expected to be on either side of the ball, and I think it was as close to a statement as you can get for for a, a AFC versus NFC matchup.
0: Yeah, and, and major props to the entire defensive line. It seemed like that was a very clear point of emphasis is not to allow Aaron Rodgers to escape. He still managed to do it sometimes, but far fewer times against the Packers than at any other point in the year did it seem like the Patriots edge rushers were running past the quarterback and it really yielded results for Adrian Claiborne right it felt like this was his best game of the year his most disruptive and it's because he was I don't know, more controlled in his pass rush. He wasn't going past his man. He was saying, you know what, I'm just going to stick here, and we're just going to squeeze. And if Adrian Claiborne can play like that for the rest of the year, we have finally found a guy who can compliment Trey Flowers on that defensive front. And other teams should really take notice, because this is going to be a very good Patriots defense for the rest of the year.
1: It's weird, Riz. It's almost as if like the Patriots were kind of still figuring out who they were early in oh. the year. And then like in October and November, they started to get really good.
0: Who knew that? Who who thought that would ever happen, though? That's never happened before, right? No. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this Patriots team has continued to develop. They've continued to to really just... Every single player has found their role. I love that Jason McCourty has settled in. Devin McCourty seems to be playing better the past few weeks than he was earlier in the year. Uh, I mean, Every piece is settling into place. Trey Flowers is playing better than ever before. Lawrence Guy is still playing at his highest performance level. So... Look at defense. They're getting better every single week. Look at the offense. Hopefully everyone's going to get healthier. That bye week can't come soon enough. I hope everyone gets a little bit healthier. But through nine weeks of the season, Patriots are 7-2. and two. You go back you know, a billion years, the Patriots are always 7-2. and two. So <laughs> for whatever issue the Patriots had in week two and three, it's probably a thing of the past. And we can look at this Patriots team and say, you know what? They're in as good a spot as ever to just make another attempt to reach a Super Bowl. Amen, buddy. Oh, absolutely. And so we'll, we'll break down more of this game on Pat'sPulpit.com. But until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See, you, man. Later.